Hi, this is Pastor Wilson. Thank you for tuning into Renew Church OC. The exciting news is that we moved up the street to Brea's Curtis Theater, and we love it. We'd love for you to come to see the space in person. Our current series is Spiritual Resilience, where we walk through Ephesians chapter 6, learning how to put on the full armor of God in our daily lives. It's easy to forget that we're in a spiritual battle, but if we are blind to Satan's schemes, then we won't be able to fight back. I hope this series helps you see the battle and fight it with other believers. All right, uh, good morning, everyone. Renew. Um, if we could, let's go ahead and break up into our groups, and we have a great question for you. Uh, just answer uh, as honestly as you can. When was... Was there ever a time in your life when you had to share an unpopular truth to a group of people? Ooh, to a group of people, okay? And if you don't, if you've never, a group of people, it's okay. One or two people is fine too. But was there ever a time in your life when you had to share an unpopular truth? What happened? What did you learn from it? Okay, great. Let's, let's go ahead and let's break up into groups. I know it's hard to kind of stop mid-exciting story that you're sharing, but um, you can always share it after church. And uh, we'd love to hear, you know, all these things that, that, uh, that you had gone through. So that's good. Hey, I want to welcome you to boot camp this morning. I am not Pastor Dave, all right? <laughs> Did somebody? Thank you. Thank you. I, you're mocking me, all right? I am Drill Sergeant Dave Jung, okay? Uh, and if you didn't come last week, you might be wondering, what is this, a cult or something? Why, why is this happening? For the next five weeks, we'll be studying Ephesians chapter 6 on spiritual warfare. That's the reason why. You're in a boot camp, and I'm your drill sergeant. And the purpose of this boot camp is to equip you as a soldier in the army of General Jesus Christ, okay? That's what we want to focus on. So last week, uh, and I'll just do a little bit of review, uh, we studied three commands for a soldier. And if you, if you took notes, you probably have those in your notes right now. Three commands for a soldier. Number one, we need to realize that you are in a war zone. There are so many Christians who are deceived into imagining this world as a playground or a career center or their ultimate home, where they find their ultimate fulfillment. But the Bible tells us that the world has fallen. This world is broken. And really what it is, is it's a war zone that needs to be uh, regenerated. Uh, and someday God's going to do that. But realize that you're in a war zone, uh, soldier of Jesus Christ. Number two, know your enemy and his objective. That there is a vast spiritual realm that is actively at work, an invisible realm that we don't see. And this invisible realm is headed up by Satan, and we looked at the names of Satan, and we see his objective where he tries to ensnare and destroy humanity, especially Christians who are doing rescue work. We're called to make disciples of all nations, and here uh, this vast spiritual realm is, uh, our, is against us. And is against everything that we do. And then number three, because we're in a war zone, because we know there's an enemy, we need to put on the armor of God. And we talked about putting it all on and leaving it on. God knows that we live in a war zone. He knows that we have an enemy that will stop at nothing to destroy us. So we have been given complete spiritual armor. That from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, 
We have a divine defense. We have God's weaponry at our disposal. So knowing this, this morning we're going to look at the first two pieces of divine armor. So again, the message series is meant not to be expositional, but very applicational. Very, very practical in your life. So we're going to look at two pieces of armor and then we'll be done. But before we do that, let's get into our basic training attitude. And as soldiers, I want you to all stand. Can you do that right now? I want you to all stand, and we are going to look into the basic training manual that we've been given, and we are going to attempt to read it together, okay? So it should show up. Can we put the verses up, Ephesians chapter 6? Okay, and we'll try to read it together in unison as an army. If we're not able to do it, I understand, okay? But let's try it at least, okay? Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Let's read it together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then." with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and praying in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And God's people said, give yourselves a hand. That was good. All right, go ahead and sit down, you guys. Oh, I feel like we're in a boot camp mentality. This is good. This is good. All these pieces of armor are intensely practical. Every piece in the panoply is designed to be applied to your life. You can go home and practice these principles even today. So the first thing we want to look at is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Verse 14 says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Well, you might say, what is it? What is the belt of truth? Well, remember, these pieces of armor were modeled after the greatest soldiers of all of antiquity, the Roman legions. During Paul's time when he was writing this, He was writing about the Roman legions. And if I could show you a map of the Roman Empire, it's so interesting when you look that Africa, Europe, Asia, you know, uh, Middle East Asia, all that was uh, conquered by Rome. And they conquered it through their legions. It was the legionary that made it possible for all that to occur. And that's a great example of our Christian lives. As we live life, and as we uh, move in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called to conquer this world, that we live in a war zone, but we're called to move forward in faith, to see people saved, to bring people into the kingdom. Amen? That's what we're called to do. And what a great example that is of Paul using the Roman Empire uh, in this. If we could show the Roman soldier, the legionary, I think it's so very interesting. In this picture, you see all of the pieces of armor that Paul talks about. Now, when the Roman citizen enlisted, he was given a two-inch military belt. It was called the cingulum. 
And this military belt or legionary belt was the most foundational piece of armor. If we could put up that next slide. The belt was the symbol that identified that a person was a Roman soldier. No one else in all the empire was to, allowed to wear this legionary cingulum except the soldier. So that when you put on the belt, you were saying, I am committing to Rome. I'm committing to fight Rome's battles. Senatus populus quae Romanus, right? The Senate and the people of Rome. I'm committed to that form of government. In fact, the most dishonorable action to happen to a Roman soldier would be that his belt was taken away. Whether maybe he uh, deserted or maybe he ran in battle or did something dishonorable before that person was executed or discharged from the military, his belt was taken away from him in a ceremonial way to show dishonor. Now, let me ask you this question. I'm going to tie all this together. What did Jesus say was the reason he was born and the reason he came into the world? Think about this, okay? Now, I've done this in a Bible study before. So those of you that know the answer, um, you know, disqualify yourself from this. But I want to ask... What did Jesus say was the reason he was born and the reason he came into the world? Did you know that Jesus specifically answers this question? He answers this only once in the entire Bible. I want to see if you know. Okay, So I'm going to give you uh, some of you an opportunity to answer me. And I've got a Starbucks gift card for you. Oh, yeah. For whoever answers correctly. It's only a $5 one, okay? You know, this is church, so I can't, I can't give you more, okay? $5 gift card to anyone who can answer this. And I'll, I'll go through all the rows, okay? Or all the sections, okay? So is there anybody in this section that wants to answer the question? The reason he was born, the reason he came into the world. Somebody, brave soul, who doesn't mind being rejected, all right? <laughs> or gets a Starbucks gift card. You never know. Anybody want to try? Help me. Come on now. Come on. Brave soul. Anybody? No, 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 this section first. I am the drill sergeant here, okay? Anybody here? Help me. Come on. Who? Oh, Steve up there. Steve. <laughs> He's my friend, so I can embarrass him. What was the reason? Do you know? To save the lost. No, that's not it. All right, that was, that was, that was not it at all. Okay, let's, let's, how about over here? How about over here? Anybody want to try? All right, I won't embarrass you like I embarrassed Steve, okay? I'll just move away if you have the wrong... Anybody? Starbucks gift card. Come on. Come on. You can get a latte. Anybody? Anybody? Ben. Oh, no. Dr. Ken. Yes. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No. No, not at all. Okay. All right. How about over here? Jaden. Oh, I know you got the right one. Starbucks gift card, baby. Oh, to purify our souls. And what, what more? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No, that's not it, okay? Let's give them a hand. Come on. They were awesome. All of those are true, by the way. They're all absolutely true. But Jesus actually uh, says that he was born and came into the world uh, for this reason. And in John chapter 18, we see it. Jesus tells us why he was born, why he came into the world. What was his purpose? And we look at it in verse 33. You don't have to turn there. Let me read it. Uh, here, uh, he stands before Pilate. And Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, 
Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34. Jesus asked him, is that your idea or did others talk to you about me? Pilate replied, am I a Jew? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over. What have you done? Verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is from another place. And Pilate said, oh, so you're a king then. And here's verse 37. Jesus answered, you are right. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Did you get that? To testify to the truth. Now think about this. If Jesus specifically said that his purpose is to testify to the truth, then the issue of truth was very, very important to him. Jesus came to testify to all the things that were said, right? Those three beautiful answers. All those things are true. It's in light of this idea of truth. Let me give you an example. In the first gospel, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. In chapter 10 and verse 15, he says, I tell you the truth. In chapter 13 and verse 17, he says, I tell you the truth. In chapter 16 and verse 28, I tell you the truth. In chapter 17 and verse 20, I tell you the truth. In chapter 18 and verse 3, I tell you the truth. In chapter 19 and verse 23, I tell you the truth. In chapter 21 and verse 21, I tell you the truth. In chapter 23 and verse 36, I tell you the truth. In chapter 24 and verse 2, I tell you the truth. In chapter 25 and verse 40, I tell you the truth. In chapter 26 and verse 21, I tell you the truth. In chapter 26 and verse 34, I tell you the truth. In the Gospel of Matthew alone, and then if you look at all the Gospels, on and on, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. Over a hundred times, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Jesus is the giver of truth to humanity. Verse 37, he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. If our commanding officer is the ultimate truth teller, then he is committed to the side of truth. Foundational truth is the foundation for us as believers. Truth identifies that we are of Jesus and this is our badge, right? So then putting on the belt of truth, if you're taking notes, means I am committed to the truth. Just as a Roman soldier puts on the belt and he's committed to Rome, so we are saying when we put on the belt of truth, I am committed to truth. Now here's the question. What is truth? Every uh, philosophical book as a standard will give you this definition, maybe in different words, but always this definition. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Okay? Truth is that which corresponds to reality. I want to put four more words in with that to make the perfect definition. Truth is that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God. Now, why is that important? It's because God's perception of reality is never distorted. It is a perfect perception. So Jesus gives us really the best definition of truth in four words. What I've shared with you he says it in four words in John 17 and verse 17. He says, your word is truth. You see, truth is God's word. And truth is so attacked today. You know, we live in a postmodern culture that tells us that truth is relative. What may be truth for me may not be truth for you and vice versa. And so truth is kind of this relative nebulous thing that not everybody agrees on, right? And that's our culture. That's what many people believe. And because we live in such a diverse culture, there's a diversity of truth claims that are out there. There are so many people 
that hold to different things that they say is the truth. As a matter of fact, when uh, Ephesians was written, and he was, it was written by Paul, it was written, first of all, to Christian people living in the city of Ephesus. And in that region, it's a, it sounds a lot like L.A. today, right? Uh, this was a first city, very wealthy, multicultural, multi-ethnically diverse. It was the center of religious groups and cults and affiliations. It was the center of education. The University of Ephesus stood there. And they had some of the most well-renowned teachers and philosophers. So with all of these competing truth claims, here the Ephesians were told to stand firm. Put on the belt of truth or you will fall for lies. And the same principle that's been given to us in the 21st century is the same one that's given to us in the first century, right? Put on the belt of truth so that you won't fall for lies. Now here's the question. How do I put on the belt of truth? How many here, let me ask you, believe that the Bible is the truth of God's word? Would you raise your hand? Okay, every hand, I believe, is up. Now, that's great for us to think that in our heads, but when we put on the belt of truth as Christians, we need to make the word of God our authority. We need to make it our authority so that our decisions stem from scripture, not from human culture or human philosophies or human religions or human experiences or human reason. It's not those things that determine the decisions that we make. No, we make the word of God the authority in our lives. It stems from scripture. Why is that important? Because the battle we face is really over our minds. The question is who masters your mind? Who governs your thoughts? You see, thoughts play a huge role in who we become. The great prime minister, Margaret Thatcher, in the 80s said this. It's one of my favorite uh, quotes. He says, watch your thoughts, she says, because thoughts, when you think them long enough, turn into desires. And desires, when you desire them long enough, uh, turn into actions. And actions, when you act upon them long enough, turn into habits. Habits, when you habitually perform them long enough, turn into your character. And character over a lifetime becomes your destiny. And so Margaret Thatcher says, guard your mind because it determines your destiny. How true that is. That thoughts are the entry point to who you are. You know, we want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Would you put it up, please? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want, you to, I want to show you how God's word becomes authority in our lives. Let's read it in verse 3. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. Sounds exactly like Ephesians 6, right? It's a comp uh, companion to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, what we're studying. It says, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. I love that. I love that. So you know what that means? That means that the Bible is like an airport x-ray at a TSA checkpoint. The Bible is like an airport x-ray. Right? And what do they do? You guys are all familiar with it. You've traveled by plane before. It scans bags and bodies. Right? Bags and bodies. I remember uh, we took a trip to Hawaii not too long ago. And I remember uh, we put our bags in. It was 
just uncommonly busy. There's so many people there. And we were holding up the line because they kept scanning our bag more than once. For some reason, they saw something in there that they just didn't feel quite right about. And we were like, what are you looking at? And they're like, oh, we're looking at this over here. What's that, right? They finally opened our bag, and it was, it was one of those disposable rice things, right? I don't know if for some reason we had one in there. And it, maybe they thought it was a bomb or something like that. But they looked at it, and they weren't uh, comfortable until they saw what it really was, right? They wanted to make sure nothing toxic or dangerous was entering into the plane. And that's exactly what God's word acts like in 2 Corinthians 10. Every thought must be scanned by God's word. Every religious thought, every philosophical thought, every practical thought. Because we want to make sure that nothing dangerous enters into our lives. That's why it's so important to know God's word so that you can spot truth from lies. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let me give you an illustration. I've used this before. Sorry if you've seen it, but not sorry because it's really good, okay? Uh, This is really important. Okay, let's say that this auditorium, this boot camp, is my mind, okay? Because I'm pretty smart and I think a lot, right? All you guys are little thoughts in my mind, okay? Now, let's say there are four thoughts that are trying to enter into our mind. So I already have these people set. Pastor Kevin, would you come up? And Kimberly, could you come on up? Derek, could you come on up? And then I haven't asked, but I'm going to use Mr. Coloma. Could you come on up, Daryl? Sorry. I, will, I won't embarrass you too much. Okay. Could you guys come into here, please? So all of us, yeah, in, into this area. These people are going to help me. They play thoughts that are coming in inside my mind, okay? So the first thought, uh, Kimberly, would you come on up, please? The first thought is, as I'm listening to this message, This beautiful thought, right? Very beautiful, very wholesome, very wonderful thought. (laughs) Commit to make the word of God your authority, right? Commit to make the word of God your authority. Now think with me, thoughts. Is this a good thought or a bad thought? Good. Now why is it it a good thought? Just because of the wholesome appearance? Is that the reason? No. No. It's through the word of God that we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And this thought is exactly what we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the belt of truth. And so this is a good thought based upon the word of God. And so please, would you have a seat in my mind? Thank you so much. Let's give her a hand. All right. So now we get, we, we get another one, okay? We get another one. And Kevin, could you come on up, please? Okay. And this thought comes in. It's a very good-looking, bold, vibrant thought, right? That just comes in. Actually, it's not. Okay, this is what, the, this is what it is. Sorry. I am unworthy of love, okay? I don't have intrinsic value. I have to work hard and earn approval and acceptance, okay? <laughs> no, you don't, have, you, you don't have to do this to me. I do this to you, okay? All right. I am unworthy of love, okay? And is this a good thought or a bad thought, you guys? Bad thought. Thank you, bad thought. But why is it a bad thought, right? And there are so many that right now they're going through depression, they're going through anxiety, because they believe this, that I'm unworthy. Their whole lives, right? Uh, their whole lives they've had to prove themselves, maybe to their parents, or prove themselves to others. And so they feel like they don't have intrinsic value. But how do we know that this person doesn't, or this thought doesn't have intrinsic value? How do we know? How do we know this, uh, this thought is, un, uh, is worthy of love? Well, in Scripture, we read in Ephesians, right? The Christian is... A, uh, is a prince or princess of the Most High. 
we see that every spiritual blessing is given to them in heavenly places, right? And so when we look at scripture, we say, oh, this is a lie. This is a, a terrible lie. And we cannot allow this thought to enter into our lives. So I cast you out in the name of Jesus. Get out of my life, okay, right now. Get out. <laughs> All right, let's give, let's give him a hand, okay. Thank you, thank you. All right, so Daryl, would you come on up, okay. So, so this thought comes in, and this thought is the Rams are the best team in the NFL. How did you know? I uh, <laughs> because you always wear it on Sundays, okay? You always wear Rams gear, okay? And they're going to win the Super Bowl. Is this a good thought or a bad thought, you guys? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Double-minded. We're, con- we're confused, all right? Well, does the Bible say anything about the Rams? Does the Bible say anything about the Super Bowl? No, Okay, but if we, thanks, Daryl, if we opened up our minds, right, how many of our thoughts, no, 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 Daryl, don't sit down. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I say thank you because I thank you for being up here. Yeah, yeah that's what I, I'm sorry. All right, but how many of us, this is what we focus our minds on. The trivial is the top of mind for us, right? The latest fashion trend or the latest sports team or a food fad or the newest music or the coolest TV series or the best video games, Right? The trivial things are what are on top of mind. And many times, this is what we consume our attention on. These things aren't bad in of themselves, but dwelling uh, our minds on them is like junk food. It produces an unhealthy life. So, hey, I don't want you out of my life because I do like the Rams, but could you sit way back? Way back. Oh, (laughs) thank you. You you know, you can sit over here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Have a seat in the back of my mind. Don't be in front of mine. Okay, last one. Last one. Come up. All right, this one. Oh, I don't know what to do. This is an aggressively, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this thought, okay? <laughs> this thought is a snake handling, okay? Now, you might say, what's snake handling? Well, in certain parts of rural southern uh, states, uh, they test their faith. Some Christians test that, their faith by letting poisonous snakes bite them and, you know, seeing if they'll die or not, Right? Now, would you ever allow this? Would you allow, ever allow a poisonous snake to bite you? No. But the Bible says, right, and this thought comes to me, it says the Bible says in James 1, you know, 3, that testing of your faith develops maturity. What better way to test than you snakes, right? Or Luke 16, 17, the signs of the believers will be they'll pick up poisonous snakes and it will not harm them. And in Acts, we see that Paul actually picked up a snake uh, as he was uh, uh, bringing firewood in, and it bit him, and he didn't die. And that whole area of Crete actually came to Jesus. So this is a good thought, right? Oh, now we're confused. Now we're confused. You know what this is? This is a lie disguised as a truth. This is a poisonous lie that has Bible verses to it, right? And there's so many thoughts masquerading as truth, but in reality, they are dangerous lies, Right? And you might say, well, why, why are you snake handling then? Right? My wife asked me that. Why use an example like snake handling? Uh, why, why not use something you know, a little bit more relevant? And the reason I do that is so you would listen and not put up your defenses because I don't want to use things and get all political or get all weird. And I want you to understand because in our American culture, we have to deal with stuff like this. Abortion, LGBTQ, progressive Christianity, uh, gender transition. There's so many things out there, and they'll use Bible verses. They'll use things to say, hey, this is a wholesome thought. This is a right thought. But when we further look, we see that it's a lie. So in the name of Jesus, I cast you out. Get out of my life. 
Thanks. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for helping me with this. Putting on the belt of truth means allowing God's word to be the authority in your life. Okay, so the second one we want to look at now is the breastplate of righteousness. Did all this? Okay, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what is this? This is the Lorica Segmentata. And I get all nerdy when I talk about this, so I, I won't go into it in detail. But in the first century, this armor was innovative. It was revolutionary because it provided maximum protection with full flexibility. It used segmented pieces of steel, right, that was tied together by leather so that it could withstand arrows and swords and spears like normal armor, but it was flexible because of the segmented way in, w- w- in which it was put together. Now, God says the protection for the vital areas of our lives is righteousness. That means moral, virtuous conduct. Right living is our protection. But can I share with you, it's not self-righteousness. We're not talking about the breastplate of self-righteousness. What do I mean by that? Well, the world says that humanity is basically good. But God says humanity is not good. It's actually broken. And because of the fall, because of a man and woman's sin, we see that, uh, that at its core, at its root, humanity is broken and is not good. Human beings can't by their own goodness please God. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 uh, says, All of my good deeds amount to filthy rags. So that self-righteousness is like wearing a breastplate of filthy rags. It can't protect you at all. So what is the Lorica Segmentata of righteousness? It is Jesus' righteousness. If you're taking notes, write that down. Salvation is all about trusting in an outside righteousness that is completely foreign to ourselves, okay? Let me use it as an illustration. Is Kevin here? Kevin's not here today? Kevin, yes. I should have seen you already. Kevin, would you come on up? Kevin is, let's give him a hand. All right, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Stand right here. Okay, Kevin, Kevin is Jesus, okay? And that's what he's going to play, okay? And he has the character of Christ-likeness, so of course, I'm not going to pick somebody that's not like that, but he's going to play Jesus, okay? And, and, and here's, here's what I mean by the gospel. So someday we all stand before God, right? And we've heard whether it's crew or, you know, that God, you know, um, and, and whether he says this or not, why should I let you into heaven, right? This idea, in and of ourselves, we don't have the righteousness to, to enter heaven. We don't have the righteousness to stand before a holy God. God demands holiness. God demands perfection. Heaven is a perfect place, right? And so for us, to, we can't stand before God because we don't have that righteousness. So what God did, did was he sent his son. And Jesus actually took on human flesh And he actually lived a perfect life, something we could not do. And here, he lived the life that was pleasing to the Father. He lived that life, and then he used it as a sacrifice for us. He died on a cross, sacrificed himself for me. And so what here Jesus does is he imputes his righteousness to my account, right? My account is zero when it comes to righteousness. It amounts to filthy rags. But Jesus has all the righteousness, and he imputes it to me. So that now when I stand, can you stand right here? All right. So now when I stand before the Lord, I don't stand in my own righteousness. I don't have any. What I do is I hide behind the righteousness of Christ, right? I hide, and the Father doesn't see me. He sees Christ in me, right? 
and I stand under him and I hide, and you can't see me, can you, at all? You cannot see me, because Kevin is the perfect Jesus for this, all right? He's the, and then come over here, do the, do the same thing, okay, see? You can't see me, and then, and then come over here, come over here. Okay, you can't see me, thank you, thank you, because of the righteousness of Christ. Don't leave yet, Kevin. All right, all right. So, <laughs> Christ is not ascended, he's, he's still here, okay? And so... The Lord, what he does then is he imputes his righteousness, and then Jesus also imparts righteousness to me. He imparts his righteousness, and my job now is to grow in it. Let's give Kevin a big hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So do you understand the idea that here we see that I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ, and at the same time, my goal is to grow in that righteousness? You might say, well, I don't understand exactly so could you give me a little bit more? I'm pleased to do it, okay? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, uh, it tells us what this lorica segmentata is, okay? And it says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, you might have seen this passage, and you might have thought, ooh, how does that work, you know? And, of course, cults love to use this pa- passage uh, of Scripture as a proof text for whatever they're trying to teach, But when we read it on its face, many times we misunderstand that this means working toward achieving salvation by good works and being afraid of not making it, right? We read it and we think, oh, it's all about working for your salvation, trying to earn your salvation, right? Or we misunderstand that it's working at keeping that salvation, anxiously struggling to keep what you have and being fearful of losing it. Now, this is a terrible misunderstanding of this passage, okay? And let me, teach you, let, let me teach you why, okay? Now, we see the passage, we see the word salvation, and we automatically think of our born-again experience when we trusted in Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, right? And of course, because we talk about being saved, we talk about salvation. But did you know the word salvation in the Bible is always a process? And salvation, wherever it is in Scripture is this continuum. And there's process points to this continuum, okay? I'll I'll explain in a second, okay? Salvation is a continuum. And there are process points to the salvation experience that we have. Now, now to to kind of further, I'm doing so many of these, you know, things, bringing up people, but there's a method to my madness. Can we have our high school girls, let's have the three musketeers come up. You guys know who you are, right? The three musketeers, okay? Could you actually stand here, over here? And uh, you guys know their names, right? But but I'll let them say their names. What's your name? Uh, Taylor, Lucy, Aubrey. Okay, the three musketeers, okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have them hold up a letter. Can you hold that one up? Okay. And then, Lucy, can you hold that one up? Okay. And then, Aubrey, or Taylor, Aubrey, Taylor. Okay, hold that one up. Okay. So this is the continuum we're talking about in salvation, okay? Now, these letters represent a theological point, and here's what I'm going to do, okay? We're going to look at, number one, the idea of justification, salvation past, okay? That's what we call it. And it's in the phrase, I was saved. So at one point, we came to faith in Jesus Christ, and we were justified. That's the word justification, right? We were born into his family. And that's here what Aubrey represents, right? We're born, we had a spiritual birthday. We're born into the family of God. But our salvation didn't stop there, did it? It did not. It continues because 
Anything that's born needs to grow and mature. And so Lucy is S, which stands for sanctification, right? It's the idea of growing in the family of God. We were born in the family of God. I was saved. Now I am being saved. Sanctification, right? I'm growing in the family of God. But again, it doesn't stop there, right? Now it goes to another aspect or a point of salvation, and that's glorification. G stands for glorification. It's the idea that I will be saved. I'll be fully and finally saved. I'll be perfected. I'll be in heaven, right? So I'm born in the family of God. I'm growing in the family of God, right? And then I will be perfected in the family of God. Hey, let's give them a big hand right now. They clear it up. Thank you so much, you guys. Really appreciate it. Okay, so what it is, what the breastplate of righteousness is that second one. It's the idea of sanctification, right? It's the idea that we are growing and maturing to be more like Jesus. So the verse should read or could read, continue to work out your sanctification with fear and trembling. Now, the word work out is really interesting. This word is used in the first century and refers to a miner working hard in a mine. So they're working at digging out treasures that are already inside, right? What a perfect picture of sanctification. So notice the word is not work for or work toward your salvation. You're not working at achieving or keeping your salvation. No, rather salvation is a gift, right? It's a free gift. It's God's grace to you, right? It's not work so that no one can boast. Verse 12 continues, continue to work out your salvation. It's saying work out what Jesus has already imputed to you, what Jesus has already imparted to you what he has given you, right? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Here, Jesus has already worked that gift of grace in your life. Your job now is to dig it out. It's to mine it out, the treasures that are inside. Your responsibility is to grow and mature in that righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? That's what it means to wear the breastplate of righteousness. But you might say, oh, yeah, well, what about those words fear and trembling? How can you make that really, you know, encouraging? Well, I can because this was a figure of speech used in the ancient world, and it meant sober, serious attention. Paul uses the same figure of speech in 1 Corinthians 13 when he's talking about how he came preaching the gospel. He came with fear and trembling. He wasn't afraid of the gospel. No, he, he handled it seriously because it was so important, so valuable, and so awesome. The phrase is the opposite of careless and cavalier. You see, our sanctification must be handled not flippantly, but with that weighty concern. You know, uh, in, in a little while, um, actually, uh, Nina, Wilson's uh, wife, is going to be having their third baby, right? Yeah. I'm so excited for them. And we've had, you know, the Raymonds just had their third. And, you know, we have, yeah, you can clap for that. It's awesome. And, and we have a church that, you know, God's blessed us with uh, pregnant moms and babies that are going to be coming. And so it made me think of when Alexis was born, you know. Um, my wife had a C-section, and so I saw the whole birth. It was just so traumatic for me, you know. As I watched all of her guts on a table and then I saw this little, you know, purple, you know, uh, baby come out, right? And I wasn't ready for that. And I remember, you know, they wrapped her up and, you know, they made her cry. And then they took her down to where, you know, the viewing area and, and where I got a chance to, um, to, to get to see her. But, you know, when I went down, I remember I was so, like I said, traumatized and also 
I felt uh, really weird, and I didn't know what was going on. I just, you know, felt trepidation. And I remember uh, there was a Filipino nurse that was holding Alexis. And I remember she said to me, Daddy, why are you staring at the baby? She said, baby's not, for, uh, baby's not for staring, baby's for holding, right? And so she gave me Alexis, that, that bundle of joy. And I remember I took Alexis in my arms with fear and trembling. Now, I have to admit there was a little bit of, you know, being scared and, and, and all that. But what I mean by fear and trembling is that she was so valuable, so special. She was so beautiful and so important to me that I felt that she was worth committing the rest of my life as a father to, right? This idea that I want to commit myself because it's such an important, sober, serious responsibility. And that's the desire that we should have. So how do I put on the breastplate of righteousness? The breastplate of righteousness is that desire and determination to do what is right. It's that desire to live holy. It's that desire to be sanctified. It's that desire every day to be able to live in righteousness. And that's what we have to determine. The idea of putting it on is to live the right way. Now, why is that important? Because right living protects our emotions. If the belt of truth protects our minds, then the breastplate of righteousness protects our emotions. You know, the Roman breastplate uh, protected the internal organs of an individual, just like a Kevlar vest would, right? And in the first century culture, emotions like love and hate, uh, they believe came from the internal organs. You might say, well, that's kind of weird. I, you know, how is that? Well, even in the 21st century, we use phrases when we're angry, we say, I hate, I hate his guts, right? When we're nervous, we say, I have butterflies in my stomach. When we're amazed at somebody, we'll say, she took my breath away. When we feel convicted, we say, I have a gut feeling about this. When we're disgusted, we say, I have sickness in the pit of my stomach, right? We express that in our euphemisms. Our 21st century culture is so emotional, is so experiential, probably more than at any other uh, time in human history. And you know the enemy understands that, and the enemy shoots at our feelings, right? Satan is a master sniper, and it only takes one shot to, uh, to take somebody out. You know, uh, I was thinking about this many, um, many times, um, of having to talk to somebody who living in sin, living in adultery. And I remember talking to this one uh, uh, a uh, couple who had left their uh, spouses and were just living in sin. And I remember talking to them and uh, sharing with them that, you know, what they're doing wasn't right, you know, that uh, they weren't divorced, but they were just kind of being with each other. And I remember what they said to me. They said, well, we don't care what the Bible has to say, right? We know that God's okay with it. We know the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, we're, we're fine with it because it's all about love, Right? And, and the Lord knows that we have a, a true love for each other, a genuine love, and so it's not wrong, right? What had happened to them? And I've had many experiences with college students, with young adults. What happens to people? They get caught up in the emotions, and they don't see things clearly. You know what the breastplate of righteousness does? Determining to live the right way protects our emotions because we can fall so easily for the lies that it entails. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this God-given armor. We thank you for the, shoe, or the, <clears throat> the um, belt of truth, Lord. And we thank you for the breastplate of righteousness. We ask, Lord, that you would allow us to live that out 
in our day-to-day lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.